So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read the the same verses that we read last week. Uh, We're going to go to verse 13 this evening. We'll go that far tonight. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Suntuke to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me just briefly pray again. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bring your word again into our hearts and our minds, Lord, into each one of us in the way that we need to hear it this morning and this evening, God. And I just ask that you would give me uh, grace and strength from yourself in presenting your word this evening. We thank you so much for the God that you are and the heart that you have for each one of us, Lord. And I just ask again now through your Holy Spirit that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started um, six practical exhortations from Philippians chapter four. I mentioned last week, I think that there probably is more than six in here, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing six. We're going to focus on six. And last week we talked about the first three, stand in unity. And the second one was be joyful. And the third one was show gentleness. So this evening we've got three more. So let's get into it right away. The fourth one, don't worry. Don't worry. We find that in verses six and seven. My translation says, be anxious for nothing. Uh, Some of the translations just put it very bluntly. Don't worry about anything. Either way, that's exactly what the meaning of that uh, is. The idea of anxious, being anxious, anxiety. It is worry, anxiety, fear. Um, For some of us, this is something that we, some of you probably struggle with this more than others, but probably um, every one of us can relate with this in some way. 
that even if we're a person that tends not to worry so much, there may be times where we find ourselves in a place where we are worrying or we're anxious about something or someone or some circumstance that we are going through. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Like, there's more to come. He's going he's to keep going. But I just want to pause on that for a minute. He's not, this is not just don't worry, be happy. Um, do you remember that song? I think most of you are old enough to remember the don't worry, be happy song was one of those songs that got stuck in your head and you couldn't get it out if you listened to it. It was kind of a catchy little uh, jingle, right? That song, can't remember what year that came out, but this is not that. That that song is kind of like this sort of this fatalistic attitude. It's like whatever, you can't change anything. So just kind of roll with whatever. Paul's not kind of leading us that way. He's not saying just don't worry, be happy. He's saying be anxious for nothing, don't worry. And then he gives a, a way to handle the worry and the anxiety that we have. We find it in verse six, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First thing I want you to see is the superlative word there, everything. We talked a little bit last week about that idea of the superlative words. It's kind of this all-encompassing word where where maybe you, you uh, think, well, I shouldn't be anxious in this situation, but in this situation, it's okay to be anxious, and we all struggle with that. But Paul's saying, be anxious for nothing and in everything. So in every circumstance, every situation that could cause us to be afraid or cause worry or cause anxiety, Paul says, this is how I want you to handle it. And so we read that verse. I want us to break that down into three things. So how to handle worry and anxiety, three aspects of prayer. They're all tied to prayer. They're all elements of prayer, but three aspects of prayer. And the first one is the word prayer itself. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, just that word alone. The The, the root of that word, if you, you dig in on the root of that word, it, it's a very generic word for prayer. It's kind of, kind of just generally the idea of praying. But the root of that word actually has the idea of, of, of bending down or prostrating oneself before the Lord. And so it speaks of worship. And so there's an element in, in this word prayer that has to do with worship or the surrendering of the will to God. When we're in a place of worship, we're in a place where we're willing to say, God, this is yours. It is in your hand, not my will, but yours be done. And of course, you think when I say that of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he brought that request to the Father that the cup would pass from him, but it wasn't going to be about him in that moment. It was what the will of the Father would be, and he surrendered himself to the will of the Father. There is an aspect of that or some element of that in this word prayer here. So I want you to see that word prayer, first of all, as an attitude of worship, coming to the Lord, bringing that worry, that anxiety, that fear, whatever it is to the Lord, in an attitude of worship, saying, God, my life is yours. I am surrendering to your will. And I'm going to make a request here, but whatever happens, whatever the outcome is, I'm trusting you in this, like the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but yours be done. And so there's an element of worship here in that word prayer. That's the first aspect. The second one is supplication in everything by prayer and supplication. 
The idea of supplication, <clears throat> of course, is making a request or a petition or asking God for something. And it's okay to ask. We, we see that so obviously, as I said earlier, in the example of the Lord Jesus <clears throat> in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't wrong for Jesus to ask the cup would be taken from him. We struggle with why he did that, and we don't want to get into that this evening, but it was okay for him to ask, even though I think he knew that the answer would be no. And so it's okay for us to ask, and sometimes God will grant us the thing that we request and that we ask for. Sometimes he may say no, or as we often think, sometimes it might be wait, we don't know, but it's okay to ask. God to handle that thing, that worry, that fear that we're dealing with. You don't need to turn to it. Let me read these verses for you. Uh, I'll tell you where it is in a moment. Some of you will know as soon as I start reading them. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Of course, that's the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. But, but I love the thing that's in there. Jesus is saying, ask, uh, knock, and, and bring that to the Lord. God's heart for us is for our good. If, if the Lord says no to something that we're asking him to take away from us, there's a good reason why the Lord is allowing that to happen. His heart is always for our good as a loving heavenly father. But it's okay to ask. Sometimes the Lord is going to deal with that thing. Take it away. If he doesn't, there's a reason why. So in the first element of prayer, we've got worship, surrendering to his will. Then we've got supplication asking and requesting God to do something or to take something away, the thing that's causing the anxiety or the fear or the worry. And here's the third element with thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So that's shifting the mind in the moment of worry and of fear of stress in our life. It's being able to shift the mind then to a place of being grateful and thankful for the blessings that we have, that we already have. It's a song we used to sing. I can't even remember, remember the last time I sang the song, Count Your Blessings. Remember that song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? I can't remember exactly how it went, but, but, but that is so true, isn't it? When we're in a situation where we're afraid or we're anxious, whatever that thing is is causing that, isn't it good when we can look at the things that we do have, what God has done for us, especially all that we have in Christ in our relationship with him, and be thankful and count those blessings. This week, uh, the other day, I, I went online and I was just searching about the war in the Ukraine because you hear very little about it in the news. And I was starting to look at some news reels and things about what was happening there. And I'm thinking to myself, many people are still living in that place of suffering uh, in there. And I think of the people in Turkey that are suffering through this earthquake. And there are people suffering in other parts of the world. And, and it is good for us to reflect on all that God has blessed us with, 
when we're in a place of worry and fear. So how do we handle worry and anxiety? We pray about it. We come in an attitude of worship, surrendered to his will. We make requests and we are thankful or we ought to be thankful for what we have. And so Paul says, with that kind of spirit, with that kind of prayer, at the end of verse 6, let your requests be made known to God. I love that. I, I see in this a sense here in, 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 in maybe what Paul's saying is that now when you've prayed, now give that worry to the Lord. Give it to him. Leave it with him. Understand that he is a loving, heavenly father. And the father would say to each of us in those times where we struggle with anxiety and worry, trust me. Trust me. The heart of God, the father says, trust me. When I think about this, I think of the disciples in the boat, in the storm, and the fear that filled their hearts when the wind and the waves were threatening them. And you remember the story. Isn't it a beautiful story? It's such an awesome story. Uh, having been caught in storms several times uh, over the years in, in small boats and, and thinking that maybe, or canoe, and what's going to happen? I can relate with that story and the disciples being there. And you remember what the Lord Jesus does. He gets up and he, he rebukes the wind and the waves. And then he turns to the disciples. And you remember what he said to them, what he turned to them. He said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And, and it's that issue of faith, right? At the core of all anxiety and fear, when we struggle with that, and we do, and I do, when we struggle with that, what is at the base of that is doubt and a lack of faith in the Lord. And again, God would say to us, trust me, trust me. When we do that, I think that's where we land on verse 7. When we're able to take that thing, pray, bring it to the Lord, surrender it to him, what does Paul say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is in the surrendering of that fear, that anxiety, whatever that threat might be that is overwhelming to us, when we surrender that to him, that we find that peace that is being talked about here which surpasses all understanding. I love the thought that it guards our hearts. It, it is amazing how, and some of you have walked through great trials in your life, and you have experienced this kind of peace. You can't explain it. You can't describe it. Externally, people looking at you may struggle with, well, why aren't you more worried about this? But when you're in that place, having surrendered it to the Lord, the peace of God guards your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. So don't worry. <laughs> Easier said than done, but what a beautiful passage. It's one of the passages I memorized. I mentioned this last week, years ago, and so many times over the years, so many times I find myself quoting these verses, holding on to them, asking God to help me do the thing that I'm being told to do in those verses. So that's exhortation number four. Don't worry. Exhortation number five, Think positively. Think positively. Look at where Paul goes in verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are, and then he lists eight different things. And then it, when he gets to the end of that list in verse 8, he says, meditate or think on these things. Um, the context of, of this statement that we have in verse 8 is in the context of worrying, isn't it? In anxiety and the thoughts and the minds and the cares 
and the things that go into our mind. The idea of meditating here is to take an inventory or to take an accounting of something or, or more literally to be intentionally focused on and thinking on something. And uh, we, we, we find that uh, if you're like me, uh, so often it is easy to think of the negatives, isn't it? Have you found yourself at times, you, your mind just drifts to negative places, um, whether it's frustration with work or people or whatever it might be. It's so easy for the mind to go to the negative place and the place of doubt and the place of fear and the place of anxiety. And so here Paul is instructing us through the Holy Spirit to be very intentional about our thinking and to focus on certain things. I'm going to quickly go through the list just very quickly. Our, our translations are really different with these words here, and that's okay. It brings out a, a, a richer meaning. The first one is things that are true, things that are sincere, things that are not hidden. There's nothing deceptive about these things, things that are true. Secondly, things that are noble or honorable or respectable. Number three, things that are just, things that are right, things that are equitable in character. Number four, things that are pure, things that are clean or chaste or holy. Number five, things that are lovely, things that are acceptable. The idea of this word is to be friendly towards. That's literally the meaning of that word. Number six, things that are of good report. In other words, things that are commendable or reputable. Number seven, if there's any virtue, excellence, or valor. Number eight, things that are praiseworthy, worthy of commendation. Paul's saying you need to deliberately, intentionally set your mind to think on these kinds of things. As I said earlier, probably most of us don't need to be told to think about negative things. Our minds just drift into that negative place. Paul's saying don't let that happen. Train your mind. Focus your mind on the things that are positive, the kinds of things that are listed here. These kinds of things point us to God and the honorable things of God and of God's people and of God's work and of the future and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. My wife is a very positive person. She's the cup half full. I tend to be the cup half empty. So I guess that's a good balance for the two of us. But um she, she sometimes will say to me when I start thinking negatively, she'll say, got to change the channel. You got to change the channel. And it's so annoying because I just wish I could just change the channel. I say, that's great. You can do that. You can just flip the switch. But I have to learn and I have to be intentional and bring myself to a place to say, I've got to think positively. I've got to think on God. I've got to think on his word and on his promises. Paul goes further, building on that thought in verse 9. He says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So that in verse 9, there is the idea that as our mind is focused positively, we have committed the fear and anxiety to the Lord, going back to verses 6 and 7. Now we need to do or live or walk in these things, to live honorably to live godly, to, if you were, give no occasion for the enemy to bring in further anxiety or worry into our life. And when we find ourselves in that place, don't you love what it says, that the God of peace will be with you. 
at the end of verse seven, we have the peace of God. And at the end of verse nine, we have the God of peace, the sense of the presence of God with us. Our minds, our minds, the thoughts, this is the battleground. This is where the war is fought spiritually in each one of us in our mind so that the enemy wants to bring the negative, the fear, the doubt, the lies, the anxiety into our mind to deflect us, to hinder us, to discourage us in our walk with God and in our service for the Lord. There's a practical need when we think of what's in verse 8 here to consider what we are filling our minds with. What, what are we inputting into our minds? What kinds of things are we watching? What kinds of things are we listening to? What kinds of things are we reading? Are they things that reflect that? I'm not saying I just finished talking about watching the news and seeing what's happening in the Ukraine. And I'm not suggesting that we put our heads in the sand and don't consider that there are bad things happening in the world. But then we need to fill our minds with the truth of God and the things that are honorable. Just this week, it struck me. And I know it's such a simplistic thing to say, and you're going to say, of course, to this. But I was, I was just struck again with how powerful the word of God is, just to change the mind, to touch the heart. When we get into God's word and he speaks to us from a verse or even a phrase in a verse or something that we see in the Bible and the Holy Spirit speaks to us and the Holy Spirit brings a calmness and a strength and a peace through his word, the Bible. Maybe, I don't know, maybe someone listening to this this evening, the thing that you have neglected is just getting into the word of God, meditating on the word of God. If you struggle with negative thoughts, can I encourage you to memorize scripture, put the word of God into your mind and meditate on it. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And again, there Paul is, is, is suggesting, not suggesting, but he's exhorting us to be intentional about our thought life and bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So don't worry, then think positively. And here's the last one, number six, learn contentment. Learn contentment. Paul mentions in verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. We know if you read the rest of that chapter, I didn't read all of the chapter that what Paul's talking about is that these believers, uh, the Philippians from Macedonia, had sent a gift, uh, financial support to Paul to minister to him uh, in his need. And so that's what he's talking about here, your care for me. And, he, and he's thankful for that. In fact, I think probably the reason that this letter was written, I probably mentioned this last week, was for that very reason to thank the Philippians for their financial support. So he's acknowledging that. Uh, Jackie and I, in our work, we walk through similar things and we have the Lord's people ministering to our needs, and we are so grateful and thankful for that. And that's where Paul is now as he expresses that. He mentions Epaphroditus being the individual who would have brought that financial support to him. They didn't have e-transfer or anything like that. So he literally had to take probably gold or silver in a bag or whatever and bring it to Paul. That was a, 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 a task that you would only trust to a faithful brother. So Paul has received that and then he says in verse 11, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, 
For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. It says I've learned to be content. That word content means to be sufficient in oneself. And when we say that, the meaning of that is not, well, Paul's saying, well, I've got it all together. I don't need God or I don't need anything. That's not what we mean, or that's not what it means to be sufficient in oneself with this word. What that is meaning is that I'm, I'm, I'm sufficient. Whatever I have is sufficient for me. I've learned that whatever I have, that is enough. And I'm content with what I have. I'm not looking for more. I'm not requiring more. Now, when you think about that attitude of contentment, that is, of course, very contrary to the culture that we live in, isn't it? And I think it was very contrary to much of the culture that Paul was in, too, because these people, many of them were very wealthy and they had prosperous lives. And like us, probably often they were not content with everything that they had. So, so when you think of that in the context of material and physical possessions, this, this question, how much do we really need to live? Jackie and I spent 12 summers at Graphite Bible Camp um, serving there on staff. And we had, uh, when our kids were there, we had a room for each of our kids in the, uh, the main lodge in the basement. But it was, when it was just the two of us, we had one room. And we lived in that one room for, we were there six weeks at a time. Now, our meals were provided. So that was that made it a lot easier. But I often we would say when we were there, really, how much do you really need to live? And I'm not suggesting that we all go and sell our houses and, and live in little one-room places. But, you know, there are so many people in the world, so many people, the majority of people in the world have far less than what we do. Um, some, I think most of you uh, uh, probably listened to Levi when he was here last summer. Um, I remember him showing Jackie and I a picture of a, a refugee family um, in Jordan that were living underneath a stairwell. Uh, there was a stairwell on the side of a building, and that's where they were living. This was a family, mother, father, and children, and that's where they were. There's so many ways we can jump off on this, but, but I want to just focus time is going. We need to learn to be content. We need to be content. Contentment is the opposite of greed. It is the opposite of coveting. Uh, when we when we get into that realm of wanting more and wanting more, we, we get into areas of jealousy and envy, and that can often lead to bitterness and complaining, discontentment. Paul says, I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul says, I know what it is to be poor and to have next to nothing. I know what it is to be prosperous, and God has brought blessing, and I've been full, and I've been hungry. I've been on both ends, and wherever state I'm in, whatever I'm in, I've learned to be content. And then I love verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Many of you have seen that verse. People don't put verses on their walls much anymore, but years ago, that was a verse that you saw on a lot of walls. I can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. And I think for many of us, we, we kind of maybe looked at that verse and thought, well, I'm going to do something adventurous and I'm afraid, but I'm going to trust God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to go skydiving for the first time. I can do all things through Christ. What, whatever way we were applying that, but, but 
as I think back, I never really understood the context of that verse. Look at the context of it. It's not in doing some adventurous, wild thing or some dangerous thing. The context of that verse is dealing with contentment. And doesn't it take, does it not take Christ in us and Christ's strength in us to truly walk in contentment, right? That's the context of this verse, that it takes the spirit of Christ in us to learn to be truly content. His strength, his empowerment, may the Lord help us in this. Stand in unity, six exhortations. Stand in unity. Number two, be joyful. Number three, show gentleness. Number four, don't worry. Number five, think positively. Number six, learn contentment. May the Lord bless you and encourage you.